top to your doorstop and everything in between. It's Mr. Fix-It Tim Noteboom on It Takes Two with Amy and JJ. Mr. Fix-It on KFGO, ready to take your questions. 237-5948-800-880-5346. You can also text us at 35270. That's 35270. And Tim Noteboom, well, well, you... You've been in the studio since like yeah, yeah, you can't say welcome thirty. Back. I can't say welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. Um, but, uh, the text club is where we're going to go to find our first questions, Mister Fix It Man. I like that. I like that they added Mister Fix It Man. Um, how do you conduct a radon test? You well, know all about this. Yeah. Well, you know, radon tests can be done two different ways. You can there there are self uh, testing kits out there. You can go to some of the hardware stores or big box stores, and they have self testing kits. Uh, you would place them in a lower living area of your home and it would sit and rest for a certain amount of time. It's all the directions are there. Then you package it up, send it off, and they send you the results. Uh, the other way is to actually hire someone who does radon inspections and they bring an electronic mach- monitoring machine and they will place it in the proper place, do it for you, uh, give you a printed report You know, within just a, maybe even a few hours. Uh, of when the re- when it's done, um, but they're going to vary. Uh, sometimes the, the home testing kits aren't maybe quite as accurate as the professional who's got the electronic monitoring system. Um, secondly, it's going to change on the seasons. Winter time, it, it it could read higher than summer because you're not getting fresh air in your house, so it's stagnant air. So there's going to be some variances there. Do you think this is the type of thing that people should do? Every five years, every yeah. 10 years. I, I think it's certainly something, if you, especially if you have somebody living in the lower level of your house. Uh, if you've got children down there or if, if it's a rental or something, you're in a basement situation, um, that's more important yet. But certainly every few years, it wouldn't hurt to, if you want to start with the, the self-kits and do that, again, they're not going to be as accurate. But it could give you an indication that, okay, I, this is probably something now I'm going to, call a professional, have him come and, and do a reading himself and see how that compares and then go from there. Well, uh, someone was telling me recently that if you've got like a sump pit in your house, that is a common place, right, yes. where you can yep. get radon gas that's leaking in. But they were removing the carpet in their basement, and they found that they had a couple cracks yep. like in the concrete of that. And they said that can also be a place where radon can get through pretty easily. Correct. So they did a test. And when they bought their house, it was below the level. Now it was just slightly above. And so they said they were glad that they were able to catch it because the mitigation systems are not, you're not talking about tens of thousands no. of dollars. They're very reasonable. Right. Yeah. When you talk about your health long term, uh, whether it's two or $3,000 or something like this for, for mitigation, uh, that seems to be a, a reasonable price for, for a life or for your health. Um, but yeah, radon comes from the ground from, it's a, it's a gas that comes from the soils. And so anytime there's an opening in the foundation, like you said, cracks in the floor, some pumps, things like that, that's where that gas comes from. And it's, I mean, it's one of the, it is like the second leading cause of lung cancer yeah. in the United States yeah, they, behind smoking. <laughs> yeah. They, they pinpoint a lot of that stuff. They can trace a lot of it back to, to certain things like this and yeah. Okay, let me ask you a question when it comes to 
Uh, the folks out there who are saying, gosh, you know, I should have listened to Tim's advice and put some heat cables up. I didn't. Uh, I also did not get rid of the snow on my roof right around my gutter line, and now I've got ice dams. Yep. Now you've got the ice dam. Now you need to do something with it uh, carefully. You don't want to go up there with a hammer or a chisel and start chiseling away because you're going to damage your roof. Um, so now you're back to the fact, the uh, point of maybe using – uh, some heat cable, laying some heat cable up there on top of it. It'll work its way in. Uh, they make some, we talked about this in the past, some of these pucks you throw up the, on the roof and let them land up there, and, and they will help melt through some of that ice. Um, so there are some products out there. The The products that you're putting on your roof, like the you know ice melt or things like that, or these pucks, one thing you just got to be aware of is when it gets into your um, grasses or flower beds or something like that, it might not be the best for that. Even though they say they're, you know, ecology friendly or something. Where does your gutter end up ultimately, right? right? Uh, Where's that downspout at and what's going to flow out of it from what you're putting on your roof? So just be careful there and think that through just a little bit. Okay. When we're thinking of these dead of winter type projects, um, I know a lot of people should be looking for those leaks that occurred you know, during the, like underneath their sink, like that monthly check of just going around to see if there's a leak somewhere. If you do find a leak, what are the types of things that you can do with it without having to maybe call a plumber out? Well, a lot of times the, the simple leaks in uh, drains or traps underneath the sink, they can just be tightened up. A lot of times they're plastic fittings. Some sinks have the old chrome ones you can tighten up or you take it apart, undo it, uh, clean those washers and O-rings out. They get little, they get just pretty nasty underneath there. So clean them out, uh, clean that trap out, or maybe even put a new trap in, uh, put it back together. And and uh, most of it's fairly easy to do once you take one apart and actually see what it looks like. Let me ask you a question. I uh, replaced a toilet in my basement, right? So toilet's probably older than I am. Went out, got a new one. They didn't have the model I was looking for. Very sad because I have a toilet I, I prefer. I saw, you, saw that post <laughs> you put out there, yeah. Uh, when I was replacing it, I've got a newer supply line that I had coming from the water that would go to the tank. I turned it's the old like chrome color, like it's Val- uh, you know valve type yep, shape, you stop. know. Yep. And um, it didn't completely stop. So while I was replacing the toilet, the supply line was constantly like Dripping. a drip, drip, yep. drip like this. Is there anything I can do with that old valve? It must be the valve, right? It's the valve itself. Those old ones, those old stops, they call them, um, some of them, they will not shut it off 100%. And so while you're exchanging the toilet or the, or the could be a sink, it could be some other fixture, um, they may just drip and drip until you get the new supply line on, put it back together, turn it back on, and, and you'll be fine. But at some point, you may want to consider replacing that stop, but that would mean turning off the water to the house. Okay. So once you turn off the water to the house, then you can replace that stop and uh, get a modern. Is it a, I mean, could I do that myself? I mean, yeah. could I, I think with could the, I cut it and uh, shark tooth is one of those yep. things where I know they can push Absolutely. it on to a. Yeah. Some of these new plumbing um, fittings and pipe fittings now are just uh, incredible. Uh, easy, uh, user-friendly, and uh it's going to save you a little bit of headache. Okay. Uh, there's another text here. On basements, I had to jackhammer a hole in the floor to relieve pressure in a heavy wet period a few years ago. Uh, lots were getting water from high water tables. I covered it with a board. Should I have it sealed up? What about radon? 
Yeah, just setting a board on it won't really stop the radon from there. If you're going to seal it, uh, unless you think you're going to need that access, if there's no sump pit in the house, I would consider putting a sump pit. If you've had to jackhammer a hole to relieve some pressure in the water and everything, maybe you dig down, uh, put a sump basin in there and put P-Rock around it and put a, a regular sump pump in there. Maybe that would help some of that. But if you're just looking to seal it, uh, I would consider pouring concrete right over the top of that and filling it up good. Uh, if you'd want to leave it accessible, then I would consider putting a, a, a row of a rim of caulk around it, putting that plywood back on there, and then it'll seal it from any gases, and then you can still have access to it future. To me, it seems like if you've had to do it once, yeah. there's a potential that you'll have to do it again, yeah, right? That, that's why I'd be... I wouldn't jump right in and fill it back in with the concrete and say I'm good. Um, if there's a, if it's happened once, it could happen again. And why did it happen? There you go. All right, Mister Fix It is in here. Tim Noteboom, he's here until two o'clock, taking your questions at three five two seven zero. You can also call us at seven zero one two three seven five nine four eight. We have a question here um, that was just emailed in too. We'll get to that about an old residential row house. We'll get to that and more here coming up. Mr. Fix-It, Tim Nopum is on the air. You know, this is a question that we get a lot when you're on the air, and it's probably one of the hardest ones to answer, I think. And this question is about, we organized a condominium association to undertake common projects. We have some small and some large projects. We always have problems finding someone who is willing to take on the small projects. Any advice? Yeah, that is That is one. the toughest is. question we get. It is. You, you think there's plenty of handymen out there and plenty of people wanting to work and do this. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the trick is, and the problem is that nobody wants to come over for a one hour project. Um, but if they do, I mean, it's, it's worth $125, $150 just to get them in the door sometimes. Right. Because you can't find them. So it is going to be an age long problem. Um, you know, it, it's going to be, uh, something about recommendation or, uh, friend or a neighbor or some of these yeah. you know people will post sometimes on Facebook in search of this um and get some results that way but yeah I don't have anything better I know I know I wish we did you know this is one of the most common questions we get yeah and um you know someone would be doing a great service to yeah. this community it's, if they it, set up just a network of these people and it's just tough to find them I keep telling my husband I'm like when you retire, literally just go and do odd jobs for people. People need that. They, they need, want yep. that. You know, people are willing to pay to have someone just Absolutely. mount their TV at this point. Yep. I mount mean, a TV, hang a screen door, yes. tighten a this. Uh, yes. Yeah. What would you think of a situation where you almost have someone on retainer, where every month you know that they are going to get paid $300, so you might as well get your $300 worth, yep. but then you know that you've got that person essentially on call. Well, yeah, there's a concept. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's a good I, idea. I, I know that that's not what you want to think is every year you're going to spend nearly $4,000 on <laughs> repairs, but it's better to have someone than to wait six months and then a small mm-hmm. problem becomes a big problem. For sure. And and you'd probably use it. I mean, there's yeah. just always something that pops up. I mean, this is what you do for your day job. You know 
yeah. how how needed this is oh, when yeah. you're managing buildings. Yes, yeah. There's always little projects, and some sometimes they, all these little projects add up, and you just can't get to them. Yep. For sure. When so, we come back, we've got a septic system question. Mm, so okay. get ready for it. <laughs> Tim Nopu, Mr. Fix It, is with us here on KFGO. Okay, you had a question come up? Is I did. Septic- I did a a septic system question, which are always crappy questions to get. Uh, This person says, (laughs) thank you very much. I have a (laughs) 26-year-old mound septic system. To bring it to code, can they scrape off the top of the mound and refill with new sand and rock, or do they have to replace it with a new system in a new location? Yeah, that's a tough question Um, because a mound system, it has the, the tank, you know, in it or nearby, it also has pumps so it, and pipes and drain field. But they create this mound, basically. They build it up with uh, different types of granular soils and other things so it will help, uh, you know, clean that water that's coming out of your, your septic tank, uh, mostly because you don't have room for the traditional drain field. Um, the very top of it is just typical black dirt because they want grass to grow on it. They want something nice and clean looking. Um, so what happens, mound systems typically only last 20 to 25 years. And so that's why this person is probably getting at the end of its useful life for that. Um, whether or not they can dig down and remove all that rock and gravel and, you know, cause it's built in layers, they probably can and haul it away and spread it somewhere and then, rebuild the whole thing um but it, it's not a, a cheap venture so and i mean either way right either way so so i would certainly look at replacing where it's at because they, they're probably had limited space anyway uh because that's why they do mounds if you don't have the real estate to do a traditional system and we've it, it's weird because septic systems have advanced but it's still a lot of the same that we've been it, using for a long time right? it is it's all the same philosophy all the same workings They've changed some of the parts, some of the pieces and things like that. But the actual idea of a septic system has not changed. Have you, back in your home inspection days, when you found out that you were looking at a septic system, I imagine there's a lot of stuff that went into that, right? right? Yeah, there's a lot. Um, typically, especially Clay County, uh, rural properties, anything with a septic system had to be inspected by Clay County Environmental Health. And that's part of the, the closing costs anywhere, part of the closing documents that the lender wants. So a bank is going to want that certification from Clay County anyway. So we would talk uh, with the prospective buyers, you know, in generalities about the septic system, how it worked, the do's and don'ts of it, things like that. But the actual inspection of the septic tank we knew was going to be done by Clay County and by a septic pumper. And, and so we just left it to that. Mr. Fix-It, Tim Nopum, he's seen it all. And when I say seen it all, I mean he's seen it all. He's also <laughs> crawled through it all. Yes. <laughs> we'll get to more of your questions on Mr. Fix-It here. Text in now at 35270 or give us a call, 237-5948. 
we every once in a while just stumble upon themes that we don't expect for the day. Tim we no do. Boom. Yeah, we find we, tangents and away we go. We do. And septic systems might be it. Uh, this person says, on the topic of septic, septic systems, has your guest heard of a thing called TerraLift to extend the life of a septic system? Uh, TerraLift. I have not heard of that one specifically. Okay. Um, I know there's products out there that that introduce bacteria, if that's maybe one of these things. Um, there's things, you, you know, you flush down your toilet that will go out in the septic system and introduce new bacteria. Because what happens is in the tanks, all the solids, we'll call them, go settle to the bottom, all the liquids rise above, and the solids need bacteria growth to eat at them and to consume themselves, basically, and to reduce. Otherwise, the solids would just fill up your septic tank. And so you want to introduce bacteria into your septic system to help grow that. Mm. And we always had a joke. When I lived out in the country, I always call the neighbor and say, hey, I, I need some, some different bacteria. Can you come over here and use my toilet this afternoon? And, <laughs> and, and so we'd have the neighbors come over and, uh, you know, you introduce new bacteria into your toilet. Is that true? Uh, we did. We did it as a joke, though. Because we, to to we just wanted to get together. And, that uh, is hilarious. Yep. And I it, love it. Instead of flushing these things down our <laughs> toilet and buying them, we just have the neighbor come over. Right. That's perfect. Yeah. I did a, a look into <laughs> TerraLift just okay. real quick. And so this is what they uh, describe it as. So TerraLift is, was created in the late 1990s. And what it actually does is it's a specific piece of equipment that uh, takes compacted heavy clay soils and puts a fissure in the soil. So think of them as deep veins full of air that force the soil particles apart, no matter how wet or compacted they become. Uh, it's this compaction that often the cause of a problem uh, diagnosing in a septic system. So it's, you're going in, they're punching all the punching way down. Punching holes down by your drain field and where the stuff is. Kind of like aerating your lawn a little yeah, bit. Yeah, except on a deeper level. Yeah. Um, it's so a yeah. big piece of equipment. <laughs> Look at it. it I, looks like they're shooting at the beginning of uh, Jurassic Park when they put that uh, thing <laughs> into the ground to, yeah. to see. That's what it looks like. I, I think I'd consult your, your local septic person before I would investigate something like this and i mean to me looking at this it's sort of if you've had a troublesome system and you're trying to limp it along maybe yeah. this is something that extends the life a little bit but it's a band-aid at best i th i would guess so there yep. you go. uh let's okay let's get back to our homes okay, okay so well i mean we're talking about homes all over the place so in the home in the middle of winter what are some other things that we should be looking at the classic Tim Noteboom open the windows let a little yep. air in Yep especially when it's super cold like this uh condensations you know we always talk about that so getting some fresh air getting that frost off the windows getting that beads of sweat off the windows um I've been noticing a few dr frozen dryer vents uh so if you are drying your clothes and it seems like they're coming out a little damp they're not getting fully dry there's often a, a high probability that flapper on your dryer vent is frozen. And when that happens, it can't let the humidity out of the line and your dryer. So it just sits and heats and heats and heats and doesn't dry your clothes. So look at that. You know, while your dryer's running, peek your head out, make sure that that flapper's open, that there's steam coming out. So that that's a pretty simple one to do. Um, you know, painting projects when it's this cold, we, we had a painter over... Uh, because my wife wants to paint the living room and dining room in our house, and neither of us are expert painters, and I'm worried about paint on trim. 
Sure. And so anyway, we had a, an estimator over and he said right now they aren't painting houses because it's too cold. And you wouldn't have thought of that. But he said in the corners on outside walls and next to windows, that wall is still a little chilly and the paint doesn't dry properly. Mm. Interesting. So, you know, I have someone that I know who, who built a house recently. I mean, it's, it's a newer home. And they get frost in the corner of their house. Oh, on the inside. Like maybe there was, I don't know, maybe but, there's bad insulation there. Maybe they missed something. I'm not sure. My guess is that there's an opening in the insulation or, or a mm-hmm. little piece was missed. Because um, it wouldn't take much for no. stuff to get in there, right? Correct. And yeah. then there'd have to be a, a opening from the outside or someplace that creates a frost pocket in there. Um, but somebody with some of the home inspectors these days carry thermal cameras. Um, so they can oh. go and look at that wall and they can say, yeah, there's a two by two piece of insulation missing here. And which can be troublesome because now how are you going to fix that? You know, are you going to fix it from the inside or the outside? I mean, that's where I tell my contractor, how are you going yeah. to fix that? Yep. Absolutely. Uh, I've got a question about windows. So this time of year, I can tell which windows are a little drafty in our house, right? And they're newer windows. I'm just thinking that at one point when they were put in, they just weren't put in perfectly. Is there? Can I put anything on the exterior part of the window that is kind of like one of those gaskets where when I close the window, it compacts a little bit? I know they use those on doors and some things like yeah, that. Yeah, they, they make some weather stripping, you know, some self-adhesive things like that that might work in that scenario. Um, and they all come in different thicknesses. So I would opt for the, the thinnest one possible to still function the window properly and not, because you don't want to force the window shut because then it's going to start changing shape, especially if it's a wood window or something. Um, but yeah, to stop some of those drafts and to get rid of some of that, Again, we're, we're looking at Band-Aids, yep. something that uh, maybe your window's 10, 15, 20 years old, and sooner or later, you might want to replace that window. Okay. I, I, you, my wife said the same thing, so she agrees <laughs> with Tim Nopum. Uh, text in at three five, uh, 35270. It's a two-story home. The thermostat is located on the main level living room. In the summer, upstairs bedrooms are hot. Winter, upstairs bedrooms are cold. Any suggestions on what we can do? Is it easy to move a thermostat to a better location? Uh, moving thermostats, typically they put them on the main floors uh, unless you've got a split zone system, and that gets a little more involved. What they would do is put a second thermostat upstairs, put a mechanical damper in the main trunk line somewhere where it splits off to go upstairs and downstairs so it can shut those off. Something I would recommend to try is balancing your house seasonally. So this requires going to maybe starting the basement or the main floor or whatever. But on the main floor, if it's warm or comfortable or too much, you in the wintertime, close those down a little bit and force a little heat upstairs. Um, or if it's warm upstairs, I guess that's their problem. So I would close the vents upstairs, open the ones more downstairs. In the summertime, close the main ones on the main floor of the basement, close them down a little bit, halfway maybe open the ones wide open upstairs. So make the air go where you want it based on the season. I, I've, I've seen people explain that as if you've got a hose and you puncture the hose in like seven spots, by the time it gets to the end, you've got a trickle rather than Correct. the full force. And so, I I mean, we did that a long, a long time ago. And actually my wife on Amazon got these magnetic vent covers 
really right you just stick it on top of the vent and during the winter time our basement is the warmest part right because the hvac unit right is right there, there yep. and it can just but by closing that it actually forces that air then to get down to the part of the house that to the far end is. yeah yeah it's yeah. really slick yeah so it's, it's if you just have to think about it that way you think okay it's winter we're cold upstairs or hot upstairs what do I need to do? Well, I want to restrict the little bit of airflow upstairs, make sure it all flows to the basement or the main floor. Air conditioning-wise in the summer, yeah, I want it all upstairs because we're sleeping. Open those things wide open. Uh, close the other ones just a little bit. Move that air upstairs. When If you're going to take off a piece of trim, like let's say you're redoing some flooring, some carpeting, stuff like that, how are you going to take that piece of trim off? Uh, wood trims, typically I would start with something small like a putty knife. Yeah, to get behind it, just to get it started a little bit. Um, then I I have a different series of pry bars, uh, some very small ones. I have some little girly ones I call them, but they're nice <laughs> and light. They're thin, and they're not going to do any damage to things. And then you have to work along that board. You start at one end or the other, or a joint. You work there and you work your way along that board you, uh, to get it to all come off, rather than just pull on it. And are you, typically are you trying to put something between the pry bar and the wall if, itself so that you're you can having, spread that, yeah, that power if out? If you're having to use too much pressure to, to pry that off, it depends on the nail size and everything else. If you're having to lose, use a lot of pressure, yeah, you want to put a thin board or a piece of plywood behind whatever you're prying with. Otherwise, you're going to punch through the sheetrock or make dents even. Yeah, and you've seen that in your day, I bet, oh, yeah. haven't Have you done it a couple times yourself? I Only once. Oh, that it only I, takes that once. I remember. It only takes once. Uh, Mr. Fixit, another text at 35270. I have a sidewalk where a slab has heaved up. Is there a way to lower it? Lowering slabs is a little bit more difficult than raising them. Uh, there's lots of sand jacking and mud jacking and things you can raise one. Lowering it is almost impossible. Uh Sometimes if it's a seasonal lift, it can go down a little bit, but it's still not going to return to where you normally would have it. So it may require, if it's a small area, just to cut it out and, and start over. Um, if you're trying to match a joint somewhere, they have some grinders, so you can grind. But that we're talking you know, quarter inch or a half inch or something. If it's up an inch or something like that, then I think you're going to be starting over. You know, another thing is I think you need to diagnose why it heaved, yeah, right? I'm, so, Because if you've got a tree root under there and you grind it down, you're just going to keep grinding until again. you're out of concrete. Yeah, usually things that lift, uh, like I said, tree roots are a good example. Um, moist soil, if there's a lot of water diversion in that area and it freezes and heaves, things like that's going to cause that to lift up. Uh, settling is a whole different thing, you know, again. So the soils underneath aren't, aren't compacted well and it will settle and drop. But heaving is typically caused by just one or two or three items. Do you know, um, this is getting into city politics for you a little bit, but do you know what the responsibility is of the homeowner versus the city if your sidewalk, like if your city sidewalk starts to heave? Yeah, I think my understanding is the city will, you know, if if it needs replacement, they're going to come out and and do it because it's got to be, you know, to their specs. We can't just go out and pour a mix a bag of quickcrete and pour a, four-foot section of concrete. Um, secondly is they may assess you part of that to fix your sidewalk, which is yours technically not yours type of thing. Same with the boulevard. 
the boulevard, you maintain it, but it's really not yours. Yeah, I always think, like, I'm the one who has to shovel this. Maybe I should be giving a bill back to the city and be like, just take it out of my specials. Yeah, there you go. Just take it out of that. But as Amy Eiler reminds me all the time, I like roads, so taxes <laughs> go to things that are specific. Uh, if you got another question, well, there's only a couple seconds left of it takes. I'm sorry, Mister Fix It on it takes two. You can get in at three five two seven zero two three seven five nine four eight. Couple moments left here with Mister Fix It himself, Tim Noteboom. Tim Noteboom just told me, he goes, oh, we're on March 1st next year. February 1st wow, for this month. I like March that. 1st next yeah. month. I kind like of crazy that. how that can happen. That I is like crazy. That. I, I, I mean, if we could just keep it the same all the time. I'd love if just every single. Yeah, the first is Even always on a Wednesday. Even if it's Saturday, we're going to come in and just like <laughs> kick out regular programming. Yeah. Sunday, don't worry. We'll be here. NFL game, sorry, you're off the air. It's Mr. Fix-It. It's the first. Uh, in my house, Tim, I've noticed this last winter random like like little cracks and pops. In the middle of the night, yeah. especially when it gets really cold. Super cold. And I haven't really noticed them before. Now my house is about 70 years old. Is that something that should be worrisome or is it just homes? It's just homes. And and you're right. It, some homes will sit and never move for five years. And all of a sudden, one year, something will change weather-wise, barometer-wise. And then, yes, you'll get a few nail pops, a few little minor cracks. And those are just common things. Well, that's good to know. And I yep. know that I need new insulation. In fact, I did, like you said last time, and I took a picture of the front of my house with all the icicles so that when I talk to my roofing guy yep. in the spring, they could I'd be like, this is what it looked like when I was worried with my ice dams. So yep. Perfect. let's get it taken care of. All right. Tim Noboom, always a pleasure to have you yeah. on the show. Well, thank you. Great. And if you missed anything, well, you just got to wait until March 1st, and then Mr. Fix will be back. Or listen to the podcast. There we go. Until then at KFGA.com. Thanks, Tim.